My name is Dwayne Default, and welcome to Selling SaaS, a podcast that's built to get you the best advice from the top experts for go-to-market strategies, sales, and product-led growth. Now let's get into today's episode. It's been very interesting. When I first learned about this, I was thinking about that because like I, I'm not W2 anymore. I don't technically have, you know, quote unquote, my own team, but I'll coach sales leaders. I'll coach CEOs. I'll coach organizations. There's always that side of me where I'm like, are you telling me everything? Not that I don't distrust it, but it's like you're only you only know what you know. Even if someone asks you the question, hey, on a scale of one to ten, how's this been? They're like, oh, it's been an eight. Why? All this, this and this. But it's like, where's where's that ability to actually see things for what they are? instead of someone else's interpretation of, because I have a coach and I get that question all the time. Like, Hey, on a scale of one to ten, how's your productivity been? Like, how's been your effectiveness? And I'm like, based on what I know, here's what I think it is. What could it be? I don't know. So it would be interesting. Like if I was in a VP at an organization, again, I, for me, I would want access to that data for myself because then I would know, am I ignoring something? Is there an area of the business that I'm not paying attention to? Do I need to spend less time with marketing? Do I need to spend more time with customer success? You know, like from a CRO perspective, right? Like I can see that as a really great way to not only save leaders time from having to diagnose these things, but then instantly be able to diagnose where potential issues are and really drill down to Oh, I need to spend more time with this manager over here because they're not doing this or there's an opportunity over here. Because correct me if I'm wrong, when we were talking before this, you were saying how the tool can pick up spoken word and keywords in meetings and recordings similar to the AI tools like Gong and Chorus and Wingman and all that stuff, right? Well, that's one thing we're thinking about doing. And you know, I come back to, like again, the privacy issues. Like, Should we do that? And if we do it, then who gets to see the data? And that, that's where, you know, I'm in the middle of just getting a ton of feedback. Yeah, it's it's just, it's in, like, I'm fascinated to learn more about it and see it unfold. Cause like, you know, talking with, you know, a mentor of mine who I'm at, whom, whom I see as a mentor, you know, Kevin Dorsey, he's been on the show and we're talking, when we were kind of talking before we were recording, he was like, I can tell the culture of their team by looking at the activity in their Slack channel. Like how often are you congratulating and speaking nicely and sharing the wins? How often are you having a direct conversation with them? And it's like, okay, like what is the conversation like in, in the meeting with their top performer versus their low performer? What's the conversation like between a happy marketing team versus a marketing team that just shows up, you know, clocks in and clocks out. There's, I feel like there's a huge, huge opportunity being missed in the ability to actually lead a team forward. And as a CEO at an organization, for me, that would be a gold mine, not to catch people doing something wrong, but it's like an opportunity to truly lead an organization forward and a really big missing piece. Cause you're right. There's no, you know, management CRM. There's no logging of coaching one-on-one -on -one coaching calls with team members. That just doesn't exist. And if they do it, they are years ahead of any other sales organization. Yeah. And it's tough because, you know, there are leaders that come at it from that point of view of, sincerely just want to help and coach. And then there are those that would misuse it. So it, it's the biggest thing I think I've thought about. I've been doing this. I left my role May of last year, took a month or two off and then really got into this. I've been, you know, full time on this since since July. The number one thing that I think about is how do I ensure that this doesn't become some sort of employee tracking software and become something that really allows us to to coach and become better leaders. 
Yeah, I think it from it, when I'm thinking about implementations of other tools that I've done, I think it's all about the setup. You know, I think a tool like this, the implementation setup usage, all that, I think, and, and the training, oh my gosh, like the amount of times I've come into an organization and they never really got trained or learned, they may have gotten training during implementation on how to actually use it, how to set it up and best practices and get the best out of it. And just, it's just not out of 10 implementations that companies have done between recording AI tools, maybe one has actually been set up properly for success. So I, I, I can't wait for more of that to unfold, but to shift gears a little bit, I don't know we're running out of time here. I figured we'd spend a long time on the leadership side. You're a founder of a startup. You've been doing it for what, nine months now? Like you're starting in technically a downturn. And right before we started recording, you had mentioned something that I would love to break into because part of the audience listens to the show are startup founders. And one, you don't come from a product background or an engineering background. Most of your background is sales. And so you're probably like maybe two to 3% of founders of all companies that have come from sales. And so like, what's been the biggest challenge for you as, you know, a non-technical founder coming into a software world? That's, and, and let me, let me just preface, this isn't a coaching software. Like, it's not like a software that you hire sales coaches to come in and do that. Cause like that, that's different. This is really or it's not a marketplace or something like that. Yes. Yes. Like I'm trying to not name names cause I like a lot of people that work at those places, but like, it's not like just a coaching platform. It's a SaaS tool to implement where you technically don't have to talk to anybody to use it if you don't want to. So like, what's been the biggest challenge for you coming in as a non-technical, non-product founder, you know, building a software. Yeah, I mean, I'm a horrible product leader. Absolutely horrible. Yeah, <laughs> definitely the biggest problem that I had. Like, I would say that, you know, I'm working with a dev team offshore, and I'll tell you, you know, gosh, that was hate me out. But, but you know, I, um, you know, my scopes are probably not detailed enough when I try to tell them, okay, this is what I want built. And they definitely change too often. Now that may just be an early stage startup problem, but for my case, you know, I usually come in after product market fit and am able to help people to scale, you know, and I'm sitting out and like, you know, the two start like around two to three million range and then in the companies that scale up to 50 or 70 million. And that's my wheelhouse after product market fit, <laughs> before. And before is such a challenge. But it's been a lot of fun because I get, I've got to talk to so many folks that clearly have this problem of, of measurement and leadership at commiss and, and just trying to work within the five load, the right solution. But I think the biggest challenge has definitely been getting across what needs to be built and then also being able to hold the dev team accountable and, and making sure I know, Hey, this is, this is the way things should be done. Cause I don't have a lot of the, that knowledge to test whether it's you know, whether that's correct or not, you just have to have a lot of trust. Yeah. So it's, it's, I hear have a really good team or at least team member that knows what good looks like. So that way you don't that's get it. Wool Yeah. Wool. That's basically what you, what you've got to have. And, uh, I would say again, just like I was talking about learning how to be a leader early on, I'm doing the exact same thing. I was talking to another friend of mine who's a founder. He's, he also came out of sales and we were just, just chatting and talking about cold outreach. I was like, man, it's funny how everything comes full circle. 10 years ago, 
we were making cold calls and here we are again making cold calls trying to find a land business after I've led large city, but you know, you do what you have to do when you want to want to build something. Feels different. Like it, it, when you're doing it for yourself, like those objections don't really matter as much. Like it's, I, I feel the same way, you know, and I'll, I'll follow up on leads for my coaching business and all that stuff. And it's, you, you, you have such a, let's call it conviction for her. <laughs> for getting the right conversation done. And when we, just before we started recording, I, I wrote down that you had recently kind of changed a little bit of your approach because what were you doing? What were you doing first? Like, what was your, I don't want to answer all your questions, but it's like, I feel like a lot of founders need to hear this part. Like, what were you doing initially? What was your approach, your target, your segment? Like walk, walk us through a little bit of the details on that. I spent, you know, a month and a half last year talking to about a hundred people in my network that were leaders, frontline leaders or leaders of leaders, you know, but they were in an organization somewhere. And I, and I spent a lot of time with, because of my network, I spent a lot of time with revenue organizations. I made it a point to talk to engineer organizations and that's a whole nother battle to talk about. So I won't go there, but you know, so I, I started out with wanting to solve a problem for leaders that solved similar problems that I had. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I decided, well, let's start Let's go a little bit bigger. Let's start talking to much larger companies. Because I was talking to people at startups, you know, companies like 50 to 250 folks at the company. And I said, well, let's just start going after, you know, list, Fortune 100, of course, and then kind of software developed companies, 1,000 to 10,000 employees. It's funny you say 200 to 250 as a startup. I don't know. That's, that's kind of like series A. That's the series A to series B kind of range. And then large, but I've never been in a company more than 400 people. So once once they got to that size, we go, okay, I'm going to go back and start over <laughs> at the whole size again. Your target was, was it like frontline leaders? It's companies that I knew just, they didn't have the time for training. They didn't maybe have the money for training. And people were getting thrown into management, just randomly, hey, you sold three deals last week. We need a leader. Let's go. It could definitely, you know, you've seen situations like that where it's just like, we've got to promote, we've got to get somebody in leadership. And they're thrown in there without much training. And I thought, at least I can build a platform to give them some fundamentals to track to make sure that they're doing good people leadership. And what I found, I kind of found my, I guess, this amazing community of leadership development folks that work internally at a company that are struggling with figuring out how do we measure what's going on. Like, they'll do a training and they'll have no clue six months later what the impact of that training was. Now, they'll, they'll use some kind of directional metrics, but they won't be able to look at it and say, you know, was this a, was this because of what I taught the leader? Was it just a good rep? Was it a downturn in the market? Like they wouldn't have anything to track really leadership effectiveness. And the response when I did that has been significant. You know, they really care. I'm getting feedback. You know, they've signed on to do feedback on the roadmap for the, for a new, a new kind of enterprise license. As we're going through this conversation, I, I keep thinking about the comparison to how we look at go-to-market strategies and how marketing comes in and the focus and like KPIs and looking at revenue as a primary KPI. And it's like, well, if, if you're coaching or uh, executing your go-to-market plan to revenue and you're not paying attention to the input, the, the causal data, the things that directly impact the KPIs that lead to revenue, then you're still very reactionary. And it's almost like taking the same approach to coaching. If you're not managing the actions that lead to results from the team, then you're still being a reactionary leader. So 
when you, so what did you do after that? So you, you were, you were going to startups, smaller companies that had their highest level of sales leadership was just the direct, direct line manager, regardless of title. So where did you go after that? And, and how did you make that shift? Yeah. So at first I started to get coaches. So I talked to coaches like you, it is four or five different, maybe even 60 different user cohorts and started with direct managers, leaders of leaders, moved on to coaches. I was basically saying, look, one of these people is going to care about this information and want to track it. And I think in some ways, all of them do. But then I just found someone, I mean, I was literally having conversations where someone would say, if I had access to this data, it would be life-changing. And I was like, wow, okay. That's a very big deal. Like, because not only are they trying to track their effectiveness, what else do you have to do in an organization every single day, especially in sales? You've got to got to prove that what you're doing is effective and that you're bringing value to the organization. And if you can't prove that, then you know, then that's your livelihood, and you've got to figure out how to make that work. So, so it really struck several chords in terms of, you know, they care deeply about developing leaders and getting them better, just like the same reason that I built this platform. And they also need to make sure that they can prove, hey, the things I'm doing are working. And here's what, here's the data to show that. That's awesome. I know we're kind of, you have a few more minutes, couple, just a couple well, last. Yeah, yeah. Okay. This is, is really interesting. And, and I feel like a lot of founders don't, I don't, I, it's not like they don't see the need to adjust their approach, but they struggle with how to justify the change either to themselves or to a board. And you basically pivoted just who you're reaching out to, right? And you've had just in the last week or so, you've had some crazy results with that. So like, what did you, like, who, who did you change your outreach to that made the difference? So you mean like, who did I change it? Well, really into the size company and then to the person at that company. So I wasn't reaching out to like CROs or VPs at a 10,000 person org. I came as the actual, you know, the role of the person that I was reaching out to and their titles are literally, literally, you see a lot of them in enablement. They would be like director of enablement and leadership development. Some orgs are large enough. They've got someone focused on leadership development, but frankly, yeah, these people are, are on an island. You know, I saw someone 50 million plus revenue award. She's responsible for developing 800 leaders, 800 leaders and what really just resonated with me is like, she said, I'm, no, I'm literally doing trainings. Uh, and this is going to get back to the very, the fundamentals again, just to tell people, Hey, hold your one-on-ones, please go to your meetings with your employees. And, and that's how strapped they are. And so you've got these people in leisure development. There's only one of them at an org that's that, that, is a, that is that large. There's not a lot of community there. There's not a lot of support. And I think honestly, talking to them, they just are like, thank God somebody is working on this and trying to support us because there's not a lot of support there. So what prompted the adjustment? Was it some feedback you got? Was it just... I, I think, you know, honestly, I I mean, I, I would say it's all about experimentation. And I'm, you know, I, I tell people, the reason I ever got to leadership is because I made every mistake you're going to make three times. <laughs> and so, and so, and that's really is very true. And so I'm not really concerned about failing is eventually I'm going to find the person that speaks to the most and the role. And so I would just try, I just tried everything that I could think of, like who are the potential people that this could work for? And you just have to keep trying until you find the group 
And it has to really be someone that says something like I heard, which was, this will be life-changing. If you hear any kind of feedback like that, you found your people, you know? And that, and that is at least, you may think eventually, like eventually, you know, I, I would love for every bitcher in the world to use this platform to be a better, to be a better coach, be a better leader for the people. But you have to start somewhere. And this is really where I think you, where I think I have to start. And so, you know, it may, may seem like a smaller market to begin with, but you have to understand that the market will expand as you build the product more and more. You see someone that gets it. And until you hear that feedback that tells you, this person's passionate about what I'm doing, I should listen to their feedback and I should pivot what I'm doing in the product right now. Yeah, it's listening. I, I call it listening to the echo, which is where's the strongest echo? Just because one path may feel easier doesn't mean it's the right one. It's like building building sales playbooks as a leader. Just because it sounds good on the phone doesn't mean it closes deals. And from what we talked about, not that complicated of a process you're running, right? <laughs> so literally, I, I wrote up a one outreach message on LinkedIn, sent like a hundred in, in mails, and I got 13 responses from from one touch point. And as you know, like you know, what's the number average number of touch points to to find someone that will speak to you? It's a lot higher than one, and that's I think is also that's the signal that you wanted wanted here is that it was that easy to do outreach, then you you struck struck a nerve. So. Well, especially when it's an in-mail outreach through LinkedIn, because that means they're not connections. They're cold outreach. Right. I, did, I, I purposefully did not reach out. So in the beginning, Sam made the mistake of talking to everyone that I know. And what are your friends? They're going to tell you, oh, this is a great idea, man. You should go after. This is awesome. And I said, you know, you've got to do the cold outreach and talk to people that you don't know that will hopefully be very direct with you and tell you, hey, this thing sucks. Or, you know, you should be doing X, you should be doing Y, and get, you know, that real, real good feedback that you need to make the adjustments. It's hard to hear, but you've got to listen to it and and make the change. In your experience working with other founders and in, in those businesses, like what do you think keeps that from happening more often? Like I said, I'm usually in right after Punk Market Fit. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm there. I mean, I'll tell you, like, it's not that there's a set formula because you know there's not, but a lot more formulaic post PMF than it is, you know, as you're trying to find, you're kind of just throwing darts and, and seeing where they'll, what, what sticks and, and go from more. And a lot of it is you're working off of very little data and you're just kind of have to go with your gut. But I, the biggest thing that's tactical for being able to do it is, is fear, fear of letting go of something that they just built. You know, I guess what I'm trying to say here, you know, afraid of losing all the investment they just made and having to build something aside from what they just put together. Those things, and those are really hard to let go of, but, um, you've got to, you've got to keep your ears open and listen to, listen to your customers. I, in all the founders that I've talked to, the ones that always, I feel like the ones that made it through that phase you're kind of breaking through right now are the ones that are building for their end user. They're like in love with solving a problem for them. And they've been able to find a way to remove themselves from the product. Like they're no longer attached to this widget or the six months it took to build this thing. It's like, 
I've, I've seen, unfortunately, the majority of founders struggle with that because they're, they come from product, they come from engineering and they're building their heart and souls in this thing, whatever. But it's, it's, it's those ones that are able to disconnect themselves. They're, they're literally building for their ideal end user and the ideal end user ends up changing. Like you're kind of experiencing now two or three times, if not more, before you kind of finally hit that 13% response on in cold in mail in LinkedIn. Like that's, that's really good. Like I'm used to seeing half a percent and things like that for other organizations. And so imagine when you turn the floodgates on, imagine when you have someone to help ramp up messaging and positioning. Like I, I can't imagine the, the ability you're going to enable so many organizations and leaders to measure effectiveness, which is so hard to do. Like we talked about earlier. So, but before I know we're kind of over on time here, but I just, I really enjoy this particular topic and the stage that you're at, because there's so many startups that struggle getting past this point. But like, what would you tell other founders that are kind of in this spot and to get them through to whatever the next stage is? Like, what would something you would tell them? Yeah. I mean, this is completely robbed from someone else. I can't remember where I heard it, but yeah, the, the simple thing to say is don't fall in love with the solution, fall in love with the problem. If you fall in love with the solution, that's all you're going to, you're going to keep wanting to build exactly what you thought the solution was. And you're not going to listen to what people say the problem is. And then you're never going to find a solution because you're, you've got blinders on to what you should be doing. Yeah. And I, I feel like that could easily be something for sales reps, sales leaders, marketers, any, any person in the organization. So they don't get personally, you know, in, invested into whatever it is they're doing. It helps. I've used similar phraseology and coaching sales reps connect with the person behind the problem and it hopefully removes, removes the sales rep from the conversation, helps them focus on discovering the needs. Same thing with marketers where it's like, you, you need to understand the explicit need and outcome for this one person. It doesn't matter how it's designed. Like if, and so I, I think that's an important message for a lot of founders. A lot of people to understand is if, if you can't find a way to remove yourself remove the the obsession you have with the solution being meaning your product then you're always you're going to be missing the important pieces of feedback and those important pieces of feedback are from the people that are having the biggest problem in the area you're trying to solve for so good good message on that one well wrapping things up i know we went over so i appreciate the time you spent with us any last words any any anything let's say with antenna you know you you mentioned it being released about 10 days ago you know, where, where can people learn more about being able to experience the software for themselves? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll say two things. First off, if you want to learn more about kind of what the vision is, because that's the most important thing right now is the, is the mission and finding the right way to solve the problem, just getintena.io, www.getintena.io. Go read some of the site. There's a free version of it that if you want to try it, I want that version to be there for individual leaders who want to, who want self-proof it. It will always be free for them. And that's where you can go. The other thing that's supposed to, that I would love was just to continue to talk to more people about this, to, to see what they see as the problem, to see what they feel like could be a great solution. And look, my roadmap is in my customer's hands and I'm waiting for them to tell me what they, what, what they want to build. I'm getting a ton of feedback, but I will always take more and happily adjust if it makes sense. So, yeah, I'm excited. This is. You know, there's a lot of tools out there that do a lot of things, but I, I feel like this is solving one of the greater problems that we have had for the last century is being able to measure the effectiveness of leadership. We, on a podcast I did with Kevin Dorsey not too long ago, we talked about the subject of privileged problems. 
where we've had a lot of pieces of technology that came out over the last few years where everyone was just trying to get to a certain growth point and sell and whatever. And we ended up with a lot of tools that don't solve an important enough problem that don't mean enough in an organization for it to stick around when things kind of go backwards a little bit. And you know, a tool like this for maybe not a startup, like maybe not you know, a, a team that has only six or seven total people on sales, there's one manager, you know, and get a couple people on the team. Like I can see this not, not really being a very, very important thing, but that's probably why you have a lower cost free version is to satisfy the need for those people at that level. But if, if I was that person that had 800 leaders I needed to manage after this thing was set up for six, seven months, and I'm seeing the data, I'm seeing all that stuff. And I, I can pinpoint the specifics. I couldn't see a world without it. Like, I definitely think it's it's something that's needed in a lot of ways, and it's definitely not a privileged problem. It's a very important problem. It's how are we empowering and improving our ability to lead the people that we have been given and entrusted our influence over? I'm excited for it. Like, it's so I'll be watching closely. <laughs> Actually, yeah. look, I've got a lot of work to do, and we'll see if we can't crack that nut. So we'll keep working on it. Well, awesome, Nick, man. I really appreciate you being on the show and we'll share the show notes, link to things, all that stuff to the trial and just the website and all that. But where is just easily, where can people learn about this outside of going to the website, if anything? That's really it. You know, that and then you email me and I will talk to you, happily talk to you. What's your email? Nick at getintended.io. That's it. Perfect. I like it. Simple and effective. Well, Nick, I appreciate you and uh, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Selling SaaS Podcast. And if you got value from today, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. 